Hey everybody, it's Richard Harris and Scott Lees from the Surf and Sales Podcast brought to you by our sponsor, Lead411. If you're looking for direct dial phone numbers, cell phone numbers, intent data based on job changes and all kinds of other great stuff, please check out our sponsor, Lead411. We're super excited. We are on episode 135 in uh, just over seven and a half months. So we're super excited to be talking today with Olivier. Um, who I will, from Metadata, who I will not even attempt to pronounce his last name. So we're just going to go by Olivier. So Olivier, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah. So so before we even jump in, just for context, right, so people can understand where your frame of reference comes from, what is Metadata? What's your average sales cycle like, deal size, you know, whatever you're comfortable sharing in that regard? Yeah. Um, so uh, metadata is in the MarTech space. Um, essentially what we do is we automate demand generation, uh, focus on B2B, um, we essentially connect to your existing tech stack and we automate uh, demand gen in terms of advertising on, on uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, display, so on and so forth. Uh, ASP is around 42K a year. Uh, that said, we have some customers in you know 20 range and customers in the hundreds of thousands. Uh, sales cycle, actually, we just ran some things recently. Our sales cycle is really good. It's 42 days right now. Um, but most of what we're selling is mid-market. Um, so since COVID has happened, uh, we've found a lot of traction in mid-market companies, which we categorize as around 200 employees to 1,000. Got it. You've got a 42-day sales cycle right now that uh that you're running have you found that to be speeding up and and if so what is your hypothesis on on why is that just a function of of y'all being more efficient and better at what you do or is there something happening you think in the market where these decisions are are happening faster yeah so a couple things there so the the sales cycle for mid-market companies actually 22 days i think um, and what is happening is given COVID, um, many marketers are being asked to do more with less. Um, a lot of marketing teams have, are smaller than before. A lot of marketing teams had budget for field marketing and now that needs to be moved to generate some leads and so on. And so for us, that has worked really well. Um, the sales cycle tends to be longer with, with large brands and we are bringing a bunch of enterprise brands and those sales cycles tend to be about you know, three to nine months, depending on procurement and so on. And so what we've done is really double down on what's working really well for us. And that is mid-market companies because they're more nimble, um, easier to sell to for the most part, uh, very high growth projections that they had at the beginning of the year and they're trying to climb back up, but they still have budget. And so we've really, you know, SMB is hard for us to do business with because for metadata to make sense, given that we do a lot of experimentation, uh, with the you know with the campaigns, we want to ensure that there's an, enough budget to, to from from the company standpoint that they invest in. And so we found that mid-market companies are the best way to go right now. now. Really tactically, I'm curious how you're measuring the start of the sales cycle. And, and I've heard I've done this differently. I've heard different things from different people. How do you measure the start of it, and and why? Why do you think that's the best way? Well, for us, a lot of what is, a lot of what we're building is it's coming through inbound. Um, so we've had some amazing campaigns. Jason went up, um, our new VP of marketing came up with an amazing uh, marketing campaign, which was le leveraging 
LinkedIn conversational ads, which is new. He's, he's wrote some posts about it. Um, and that has generated, I think like 70% uh, of our inbound is coming specifically from a DoorDash campaign, essentially. Um, and so the, back to your question though, Scott, can you clarify again? Well, is, is it like from the moment, let's say that that inbound comes in or from the moment yes. that the first contact is made, for example? Yeah, so for us, it's from a demo request. So when that demo request comes in, um, and then you'll get qualified, um, and then but it's as soon as that lead came in, right? I raise my hand like I want a demo. Yeah. So in that regards, do if do people even come to your site to do white paper downloads, do research, or watch a video that's gated or anything like that? And and do you still keep that up in the marketing funnel, for lack of a better phrase? Yeah, uh, we don't gate anything on our website. Um, Jason, our VP marketing is like, we don't gate anything. We want to make sure everybody can access all the content. Uh, we do track who's coming to the website, right? So I, IP reverse lookup. And so we, we can see that. We also retarget a lot of people that come to our website using our own tool. So they come, they do research, and then we will target them. But then the other thing that we do with our tool is that we have a lot of data. And so we're able to go figure out who the ICP is at that account, and then we start targeting those individuals as well to increase the likelihood that they'll come back to the website and, and uh, submit a lead demo phone. The other thing I want to point out too is that in your background, a lot of people may not know this, maybe many do, um, is that you were VP of sales and SVP of sales at G2, right? Which I think particularly for the tech-minded folks, we all tend to know. Um, yeah. Just out of curiosity, was that a, was that an outbound sale or an inbound like this? No, no. This is the first time in my career that I've um, been fortunate enough to be in a company that where inbound is really driving the growth of the business. So how did you um, I start? So just curious, when did you start to measure the sales cycle at a G2? Still on the demo request? Or again, we're just trying to sort of talk about these things because nobody knows... Nobody knows what's the right answer for them. Yeah, so at G2, it was very much uh, outbound uh, from the onset of when I started. So I spent four years at G2, it was a great experience. Um, it was a really small company when I showed up. Most people did not know what G2 was. Um, and so for us to uh, convince people to you know, get reviews on our site, uh, we did a lot of what I call guerrilla marketing, where the sales team would go and attend trade shows. By the way, I, I do miss trade shows. Um, and trade shows were great for G2. We essentially went to all the trade shows. Sometimes we would not even have a booth. And then we had these badges, and I'm sure many people listening probably seen the G2 badges. And so what we would do is, is essentially bring FOMO to all of the people that were attending the trade shows who had a booth and say, hey, listen, you just invested 30K, 50K, 100, quarter million dollars on your booth. Um, you know, G2 is essentially, it's an online trade show. It's happening every day of the year. And um, the reason that you wanna get reviews on our site is you wanna make sure that if somebody's searching for software in your category, that they'll you know, hopefully have an opportunity to land on your page and learn more about it. So we did a ton of guerrilla marketing where we brought this like, hey, I rank as a leader, I'm a high performer, I have you know, um, review, reviewers on G2 Love Us. And so we would just get hand out all these badges. And that made people like, hey, I want a badge, I want a badge. And that gave us a really good opportunity to have a conversation about the fact that you just invested 30K in a trade show. What, how many leads are you gonna get out of it, right? And wouldn't so it be great to you, know everybody? When right? would you start to measure the sales cycle? Was it the moment you gave them a badge? Like, would you go back to the CRM and have them put that in? 
or was it once you had a conversation or something else? Yeah, no. So we would we would document the the activity themselves, but I would not consider that you know to be the start of a sales cycle. As soon as we get to a stage one opportunity, which is for us was we had a conversation. Um, is that conversation going to have another conversation? If not, that's fine. We'll just close it out and put the notes about the conversation happened. But if they're willing to have another conversation with us, that could be a month from now, two three months from now make that an opportunity and then, you know, put it in stage two at that point. You, in addition to G2, I mean, you were running sales for um, Fliptop that got acquired by LinkedIn and you were selling at Glassdoor. I have a couple questions for you. The first question that comes to mind is how are you having to recruit differently now than in, in some of these prior roles? I mean, obviously you're president, uh, you know, so you're not running, just sales right now you're recruiting for more roles but i'm just curious like how the recruiting process maybe specifically for revenue folks is changing or has changed um, from your point of view right now yeah so the the other companies i joined i i've never joined a company this early so we just closed our series a and sh should get announced in the next few weeks uh but all the other companies i joined was like glassdoor flip-top G2, they all had, you know, pretty nice Series A. So when I sh showed up, there was budget, right? So my j job was to figure out, like, how are we going to sell this product? Once we figure out how to sell it uh, and package it, then you hire people. Um, and so I relied heavily on recruiters throughout my career. Um, this time around, um, a little more lean. Um, and the other thing is COVID happened. And so I was not in a position to, I was, I was a, the way that I led sales team in the past is like, I want everybody in the office. I want to feed off the energy. I want to get people excited. It's us against the world. We're going to take it over, so on. And now it's really hard to do that when you're virtual, right? We, we do have morning kickoff calls uh, for 15 minutes on the sales side and then another one for the customer success team, 15 minutes every morning. Um, and that's a good way for us to get together and chat, but it's really hard to get everybody in the office. Now that now I'm hiring people I've never met in person, right? We're hiring everywhere across the US. Um, we are very um, spread out geographically around the world. I think we have like close to 40 employees and I'd say 15 of them are outside this country. And I think we're in like seven or eight states. And so I've really changed the way that I'm evaluating talent. Um, and one of the things that I'm doing is really leveraging my network more than I ever before. Historically, I would just call four or five recruiters and be like, all right, send me candidates. And then, you know, we would, um, get the candidates to, um, to interview. And then, you know, that's really how we went about recruiting this time around. I'm really leveraging my network because hiring people that you don't know, hopefully somebody on the team knows them, um, because that's really important, um, as you, you know, build trust and then also get, you know, be part of the culture. Is there, is there, what's the additional step that you have to take when you're trying to interview somebody, but you've never met them in person, or is there an additional step? I, I, our interview process at G2 was pretty, I felt was pretty good. Uh, there was one thing that uh, some people didn't like, which was a test. Our CEO, Godard Abel, was, you know, there, there's a test. So it was a personality test and kind of like an IQ test mashed up into one. Um, a lot of people did not like that we started, you know, the interview process with a test. And the thing is, it filtered out, I thought, way too many people. I think like 70% of the people took the test failed. 
Um, but every step after the test, I've actually kept. And so usually it starts with uh, the hiring manager will have a quality, you know, we'll just get on the phone with them for 20 minutes, figure out about what they're looking into, what kind of job they want, so on, explain the role. If there is mutual interest after that, the candidate sends an email. And the email includes two things, why they want to work at this company and why they're an ideal candidate for this role. I like getting an email out of the gate because that tells you a lot about the individual, right? If they don't follow up, they're not interested. Two, I want to see how good are they at writing via email, right? A lot of sales is happening via emails now, and that's one of the things that um, tends to get overlooked. So if that email goes well, then at that point, we will do um, a sales presentation. We will have them pitch us whatever they want to pitch us. And that, that call will have, you know, the VP of sales will have, you know, a few other execs will be on the call. Um, and the candidate will go ahead and essentially present for 22 minutes. And then we leave time for feedback. If that goes well, then there's three one-on-one uh, -on -one interviews with the, buying, with the, the hiring committee. Um, and then offer goes out. What, what are some of the things that, like, are there, have you shifted any of your questions as you go from in-person to online, right? Just, I'm trying to give some tactical advice, like, oh, you know what, I've started asking this because it taught me this about them, you know, now that I'm having to interview in a virtual way. Anything in particular? No, I, one of the things I like to learn more about, but maybe I should uh, change my, my, uh, my questions. Um, so after the call, I'm probably gonna spend some time thinking about that. One of the things I like to learn though is, you know, what is the person passionate about? Um, what are their hobbies? Like, what do they do outside of work? And the reason I, I'm, I'm interested in that is I want to find people that are curious, right? Um, good salespeople are super curious because if they ask a question, right? And then you say, tell me more about it. That's really when you learn what's going on. So I want, I want to see that people, you know, they're, they're either they're reading books or they're very competitive and they like to go mountain biking and do races on the side. I just like to get into what's the day-to-day -day life of that individual and what are they passionate about? Do they like to, you know, volunteer um, for a certain organization, things like that. Those are the things that, you know, I'm How much keen in understanding. We, we've never asked this and I, I find it interesting. Do you think, or how much do you judge their background, right? What's sitting, where they're sitting, because some people can't control it, how they're dressed, right? Like appearances has always mattered, but a virtual appearance. Are you talking about their like background of the Zoom type yeah, of thing? Yeah, yeah, I'm just curious. Like, does it matter? Oh, wow. do, you, do, we bring, do we bring personal biases to that stuff? You know, not intentionally, you know, they're unintended, right? Scott, I know you, you judge me all the time. So you've known me for 11 years. So. Vice versa. <laughs> so I, I used to be, you know, very, I, I wore a suit to work until I was like 31 years old. Like a suit and tie. That's what I grew up in, right? Uh, and so and that's not that long ago. That was like, I stopped wearing a suit like 10 years ago. Um, but I like people who, who dress up, right? So if I am doing an interview with a candidate, um, even though, you know, we're in COVID, I would like this person to be, it could be a short sleeve, but like, I'd like them to be wearing a collar because that's the expectation I would have when they're at work that, you know, that we're be wearing collar on a sales call. That said, a lot of people now are just wearing, you know, uh, t-shirts and I think that's fine. But for an interview, I want to see that the person is trying and is going outside their comfort zone. And so they're, you know, hopefully wearing a collared shirt would, would be appreciated. 
if you're interviewing with me. But some of my team members that are interviewing as well don't don't care. So, well, I think that that's any candidate who knows what they're doing would ask these kind of things during the process to not screw that up. Scott, right? you failed this interview, by the way. You failed. Not, I'm not. Inter- I'm not interviewing for a job. <laughs> I'm interviewing Olivier here. Okay, there's a diff- there's a difference, right? Um, I, w- I want to talk about the advantages you think that maybe you have running a company having the sales background that you have right and um so many startups are run by people with engineering backgrounds product background backgrounds finance backgrounds what have you i always get excited when i see somebody building a company and they've built and scaled a few sales orgs first so what, what advantages are there that you, that you think um, transfer over really well? And as you look back on your prior career, you're able to see things a little differently. Yeah. Um, and I think um, running a company or helping run a company um, is there's a couple of things that I'm good at. And I, you know, I'm very fortunate to work with Gil, our CEO. He, he's a former engineer uh, turned CEO. He's very technical. And so together, and he doesn't necessarily have the go-to market um, experience um, that I've been fortunate to gain over the years. And so we're, we're a great team together. So the, I think the things that are important uh, to think about one is, you know, the product, the space that it's in, right? And for me, when I was looking at leaving G2 last year, there's, you know, I've been in MarTech for seven years and I'm super passionate about MarTech. Um, and so that was one of the things, I had opportunities to go in different roles at different companies, uh, but one, I was looking for a way to get out of the box of sales. Um, I think I, you know, I did pretty good as a salesperson over the years, but I was more passionate about learning more about the other sides of the business finance, fundraising, all these things that I'd never really been part of, which were really exciting for me. But the things that the skill set that I brought that I think was good, uh, one is obviously knowing the space and having connections and being selling to these CMOs in the space for seven years. So it's really easy for me to call somebody I've known to, you know, and say, hey, listen, I want, I want your feedback on this. Can we schedule a call for 30 minutes and let me know what you think about this, right? So that's an easy way to break in. Um, two is I've hired close to 100 people at, at G2 while I was there. And so I got, I think, much better at hiring. Two is I've made some great connections. And you see the sales team that we have here at Metadata, many of them come from G2. Um, and so it's it's nice to be able to, you know, this is my third go or fourth go around in, in a startup. So it's nice to be able to have a, a bunch of connections that you have and really good people that work with. And some of these people like to work in early stage companies. And so that makes it easier from, from a recruiting standpoint. Um, the big thing about my advantage, I think that I bring coming in is how to monetize a product um, and understanding what your competitors are doing and what they're not doing well. Um, and then being able to come up with a sales process that is not very combative it's very easy um at g2 i had i felt like i had to for people to pay attention to us we had to challenge them and in this case i'm really trying to do the opposite and i'm trying to remove as much friction as the sales process as possible and so uh we are trying to uh only engage with you know people who you know want to learn about new ways to do things and what we're doing here is essentially adding the ability to 
you know, bring AI to demand generation, right? So instead of having a human go into Facebook and LinkedIn and create your marketing campaigns, the robots are all doing it, right? They're connected to everything. And then based on who's clicking on what, what's converting, everything's working um, for you. But now we have to convince people to let go of the wheel and, and let the machine do it, which is, is very different. And so what we're trying to do is remove as much friction. And so we're not asking for people to sell two-year deals out of the gate. Uh, we're saying, hey, you want to start with a six-month pilot? No problem, right? We're going to make it easy uh, for you. Um, and then the other thing we've done, which I think is kind of cool, we sell the marketers. So what we're doing is we're hiring marketers to come in and become like sales engineers so that when the salesperson gets an inbound um, or they, they book their own meeting, they'll qualify it. And then on the demo call, it's a marketer talking to another marketer. So now we have no, the salesperson's on the call, but the salesperson's not doing the demo. The marketer is doing it. And here's why it's doing it. And we just, somebody started today, uh, one of our new marketers uh, came from one of our customers. And so we're, we're seeing that more and more. And we found that marketers love to talk to other marketers so they don't feel sold. So back to you know, how we're doing things differently, I'm trying to remove as much friction and not be as challenging as I was in the past. At G2, we were very much in your face uh, sales team and people were like, wow, these are aggressive salespeople. And it worked really well because we didn't, I, you know, we didn't really have the marketing in the beginning, my first two years at G2, we didn't have the marketing uh, team that you know, we had when I left. And so that, that was one of the reasons we were more aggressive uh, than we are this time around. How do you that's a that's a fascinating. I've not heard anybody doing that where the marketer does the demo. I don't know, Scott. Maybe you have, but how does the marketer like that? Like I could I could see some marketers being like, oh, that's a sales thing, right? Like so, there could be some level of resistance internally, or and granted, it's coming from the top down, so you're doing it too. But do you do you have internal friction to that type of process? Our VP of sales was the one Clay. Uh, Clay and I have worked together in three companies. We met at Glassdoor in the early days, and uh, he was like, "You know what? I want. I want. I want marketers selling to marketers." Um, we had a, a customer advisory board meeting, and uh, so we have some customers. They're all marketers. They're on a call. We're talking about, "Hey, have you guys had pitches from our competitors?" And they're like, "Yeah." And then they share and like how those were, and we're like, "Huh." And and then I said, "Here's what we're thinking," and one of the members of Cab was like that is fascinating and I'm interested. Like, I want to talk to you guys about this. And so uh, we found that it resonates really well and our conversion rates are pretty, are pretty good. I mean, I was looking at stats, like if you get the stage four, the likelihood that a stage four opportunity closes and your short, short, our sales cycle is pretty short is around 75%. So if we get the stage four, like we're going to win that deal. 75% so of the time. What, what does sales do then? Like what's, what's their job? Qualify and close. So they're they're doing they're doing they're, the. Uh, they're, it's like it's like they open Richard, then they take a little snooze, and then they come in and close the deal. Wow, Scott, the, we could have come up with that. Idea. I mean, <laughs> we're moving up market. Procurement is is security reviews. Those those things are are taking a lot more time, uh, and we're super nimble, right? We're do we have uh, five quarter carriers. I think we might have hired our sixth one. Um, and the average rep is doing like, you know, four deals a month. And just out of curiosity, so this also brings up, you know, in my mind, okay, well, what about compensation? How are you compensating the marketing person with the salesperson, right? Um, how do you guys address that? 
Yeah. So the marketer I wanted, so the marketer does more than just demos, obviously, right? But like two to 60% of their job is doing demos. Uh, the other parts of the job have to do with content creation, right? I was on a demo. This was the pain of the customer. Um, I'm going to write a post about like, you know, here's what, you know, um, here's what I'm hearing in the market and so on. So content thought leadership is super crucial because we're one of the newest, like youngest vendors in MarTech. And so we are trying to catch up. And so I think creating content thought leadership is super important. So you're doing that. Now, in terms of measurement, uh, two thirds is, is, a, is, a, is a base for this marketer. And then one third will be on stage one to stage two uh, conversion rates, right? Because stage one is when the op shows up, stage one inbound demo. How, what percentage of stage one goes to stage two? And we have historical data around it as well. But essentially, we're going to say, can this person tell a good enough story on the, on the demo to move it to stage two and how does that compare to historical data and then based on if they're beating expectations and you know obviously you make more money and how's the relationship between sales and market i mean i have an opinion but i'm, I'm curious like it's what never been this good at any company i've been at yeah that's what i was expecting yeah yeah that's great so. What, what's interesting is our, I was our CEO in the beginning was like, you want to run all go to market? And I was like, no, I don't want to run marketing because my C, CEO was a CMO before. And, um, and as you know, I'm friends with many of the marketers I've worked with historically, but I, I have uh, very demanding <laughs> as a sales leader about, you know, the, the amount of pipeline that we need, especially at G2 is like, I need enterprise leads. And there, there's memes out there of me like just you know yelling at marketing for enterprise leads. And so I was like, I do not want to, to do own marketing. I was like, you're a former CMO. I want you to own that. And that gives it a little more, you know, you know friction, but just challenging, right? Um, that way, you know, um, the CEO, uh, VP marketing and myself and VP of sales can get in a room and say like, what are we going to do about this? But we've blown out all the KPIs in the first half of the year. We just finished it up. And so now I'm actually going to marketing and asking to reduce the amount of leads because we have too many leads coming in. I just want to tweak the, the um, uh, have a little higher conversion rates. And so the quality, I'm asking for fewer leads and higher quantity, but our CEO is pushing for us to double the lead output, right? So he tells a really good story. And I'm like, no, we are overwhelmed with opportunities right now. So yeah. please, Tony. Fund he's fundraising. He's fun. Do you? We're, yeah, Series B. So the, the other question I had around this was, now that you've tried this, right, this unique experiment, and I guess, I've, so one is, what made you think to do it? And then the second thing was, um, what was the second thing? The second thing was, shit. Well, uh, I'll answer welcome, the first one. To live podcast. No worry. I'll answer the first one, what you think about a uh, second. So what made us think about this is that, um, there's a gentleman here at the company. He's been with us for three years. I started as a BDR, uh, then became a salesperson, but he does everything. He does RevOps, he does marketing and so on. His, his name's Logan. And Logan did such an amazing job at the demo that when Clay and I came on board, we're like, Logan, should you do all the demos? He, he's like, he's a marketer. He thinks like a marketer. He understands everything. He's been with the company for three years. He's, uh, he understands the product inside and out. We're like, He's doing an amazing job of telling the story and people and the, the buyers don't feel threatened because it's not a salesperson, the marketer telling you a story. And so that seems to be resonating well. And we're like, let's do more of that. Um, so, and so we just hired this a new person. So now we have two marketers telling stories. So let me ask you, now that you've done this, hindsight being 2020, right? 
would you go back to the glass doors? Or would you go back to the G2s and say, you know what? I, I wonder if this would work, right? If you, if you had the person in the role selling to the same buyer, would you try it in those roles, in those companies? I would. I mean, at, at Glassdoor, it would be interesting because you would essentially be selling to, you know, talent acquisition people. And I do think it would work really well, specifically large brands, right? If we were able to convince somebody from Adobe talent acquisition to go work at Glassdoor and then tell everybody, you know, GE, you get on the phone with GE or, you know, EA or something and be like, here's why I'm here. Right. That story is like they did such a good job for me at my last company that I felt compelled to leave my role and come here and basically just be an ambassador for the brand because the product works so well. Um, so, yeah, I definitely I will do this moving forward. I will also, um, you know. Want to join companies in the future where their. Marketing strategy is thought well is well thought out out of the gate um I've, I've worked at companies where i have a decent product but didn't, didn't invest enough in, in marketing early on and that just makes it harder i don't think because i you know even at glass store we had like 40 50 salespeople and only a few marketers uh in the early years and it just makes it so much harder to scale a company effectively if you have so much manpower that is there just to book meetings right and and then they, they maybe get one or two inbounds a month so I'd rather scale a business where there you just add reps as the demand picks up, and it should be essentially a math equation between you know the math, the um, sales team and the marketing team, and you just look at hiring when it makes sense based on the inbounds that are coming in from the marketing team. But at the end of the day, if you have a good content strategy, thought leadership, and so on, sales is going to be much easier uh, than just you know picking up the you know phone book and, and trying to call everybody. You got it every salesperson listening to this right now going, Oh my God, I want to work there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I think there's a little bit of a, um, a paradigm shift happening. You know, I think you're, what you're doing and the way you're thinking about it is, you know, at the forefront of that kind of movement. And there's some other folks that we've talked to that are thinking about these things still this way, but it is, it is, there's still so many companies that are way behind, you know, in, in how they're addressing that and how they're, they're thinking about that. Um, I want to ask you about a different type of sales cycle, if you can, that you just went through. And that's the fundraising sales cycle yeah. for all, all uh, entrepreneurs out there and people running startups and, and people who are thinking about building out a product, you know, one day. Um, from all the conversations that I've had and, and a couple of times I've been a part of it, even though I've never been a fundraiser as a, as a founder, um, it doesn't seem that much different than a normal sales process to me. Tell me all the ways that my statement is wrong. Well, so looking back, it's not. The one thing that's different is your mindset, right? I, the first pitch I had was with Andreessen Horowitz. I was still at G2, but I was representing metadata and that was our first pitch. Um, and it's a mindset thing. I did not have the swagger that I had as a VP, as VP of sales at G2. I didn't have my talk tracks down. And so it took a while for me to get that, uh, when the talk tracks are super important, uh, but having the, the confidence 
to be in that meeting, um, that took a while because at first, you know, for the first, you know, dozen calls or so, um, you know, you're just like, wow, I'm a this VC and so on. And you're just, you know, it's like my first time I played Pebble Beach, I'm just looking around I'm like, wow, this is amazing. And I wasn't focused on the meeting itself or, you know, the round of golf at that point. So that was, that's the one thing I would, I would say is, you know, um, they want to see people who want to, that believe in the product and be, you know, billion dollar outcomes. And that's really all they care about. Um, and so, and the other thing is you're doing so many pitches. Like I think we pitched, I would say over the course of nine months, probably 70 plus VC firms. And every week we would have like, you know, two or three. And it took me a while to get my groove, but by the end of it, we, we got pretty good at it. Gil and I, we were tag team for, for, uh, these, these, uh, these calls and it took, I felt like it, I was holding us back because in first I didn't have the confidence of storytelling and so on. And I didn't believe that, you know, we could have, you know, easily a billion dollar outcome here. And over time by being part of the company longer and seeing our customers see outstanding results um, and then bringing on some huge logos, I'm like, wow, I'm starting to believe this. And that really translated and I became better and more convincing at telling a story. And, you know, VCs, uh, there's one thing that, get some to act and that's oftentimes is FOMO, right? Same as a sales cycle. Yeah. Right? Um, so leverage that. And then I was also leveraging my own network and Gil started to do that as well, where he's leveraging his business coach, uh, who's making intros for us. And so we got way better at, 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 at thinking about a VC as like an enterprise sales deal. Um, so, and then the other thing, go ahead. Sorry to interrupt. So 70, 70 pitches to me for a successful outcome that doesn't seem that bad that that yeah. that, that seems I, me, I mean, you're probably like fuck you scott this was exhausting but you know if i go one if i go one for 70 for a you know a couple million dollar raise like that feels pretty good i'm not, i know i know people who've had three four hundred vc meetings before they 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 got a yes is it just like so much more exhausting though because like the weight of everything as opposed to just you know trying to sell a you know fifty thousand dollar software where deer deal is is that it there's just so much more of you that you're pouring into it on every pitch no so you're not a good fit for a lot of vcs right especially like we we're pitching during covid right so uh, a lot of vcs are like hey your product is great we love the team your space, we hate it. We lost a bunch of money because we invested in other companies in MarTech and we lost it. But we'll introduce you to portfolio companies, which is like, all right, cool. They won't give us their money, but they want to introduce us to portfolio companies. And so we would get customers that way. I'm like, all right, this is encouraging. Um, and VCs are not, they don't focus on everything. And the person that you have on the phone with you, uh, the big part of uh, the, the VC and investor in, uh, relationship is like, what's their personality like, right? Because you're not a good match for everybody. Um, and it's possible to buy something from somebody you don't like because you have a need for it, but your likelihood to invest in somebody that you don't like is really small. And so right out of the gate, right? It's probably like half of the pitches you're going to have is like, it's just not a fit from a personality standpoint, either, you know, because of me or, or because of, you know, um, or CEO, like they're just something is, is not, you know, in tune. And so that, that happens. Um, and then COVID made it much, much harder as well. And so that made us tell a different story. 
Um, and so our story and our deck like improved over time. And I would, I would consider, you know, um, this is very similar to like what it was like for me to sell like, you know, Oracle at G2, right? Um, Oracle was like a big account there. We were trying to break in. We did so many strategy meetings internally with the reps and the team to figure out like how to break into this account. Um, and it's very similar with the VCs. So one, you have to put in the time, right? Research the pro profiles of the individual, making sure that you can connect out of the gate by building some rapport, talking about, you know, maybe they like mountain biking or going to Truckee and, um, you know, going water skiing and so on. So try to do that stuff anyway, so that you can build some rapport out of the gate, similar to sales cycle. And then you want to go in hard with the bang, right? Like, why am I here and why should you care? And I think we got better at that over time. What did you, what did you specifically change? I'm curious, you know, and, and I agree, you have to pivot based on the world. What kind of things did you change? Like what did your message change from pre-COVID to during COVID, right? To get their attention. Well, marketers are being asked to do more with less across the board. There's less marketers working at companies. Um, there's probably less budgets going around, but their return, right? How they're measured, right? They probably didn't go down that much. Yeah, your budgets, your, your marketing budget went down 65%, but you know we only reduced your goal by 15%. So get scrapping, figure out new ways to make this work. And for us, that's been great because we automate demand gen. And so instead of having marketers like, you just you know let our system our platform do it for you so the messaging also changed right the amount of inbound we received um in march you know we're getting you know we're, we're a small company with 30 something employees we're getting 30 demos a month in march by may we're at 180 demos a month inbound and so that changed investors noticed that so maybe like maybe yes my confidence increased and our storytelling is better but you show that chart and you're like why is that happening? I'm like, because marketers need need some help and this is what we're gonna help them with. And so that, you know, timing is, is also something that, you know, worked out in our favor here uh, because um, one, our VP marketer started in March, knocked it out of the gate with his first campaign. And, you know, it doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't sound asking. like, I don't think it was, I mean, the timing of COVID is what changed, but I don't think the timing of, within your company changed. I feel like you guys get smarter faster, right? You, you sort of said like, you know, and I said this a while ago and, and I think it's happening monthly in some cases and co certainly quarterly is that right now everybody's going through a whole new product market fit, right? Like it sounds like you redefined your product market fit in April based on what happened, um, figured it out. And then, you know, and then I think people sort of were, all right, let's see how July, you know, let's see if everything changes by the end of July. Will we be back to normal? And then now it's like, okay, now I got to start really looking at this stuff for the long haul, right? It, it's really interesting. Um, so so I don't know that it was as much, I, I think it was more about brains as you noticed the timing more than anything else, right? I don't think it was anything more than that because even coming out of this, people are still going to, I mean, they've always wanted to do more with less. Like that's, that is mm -hmm. always, and you just have, now you just have even more stories to tell to prove your, your to continually validate you. So that's well done. That's, that's really cool. One, one piece of advice though, is like, we have a lot of people that are coming to us and like, Hey, can you do this for us? We're like, not a fit. 
right? Where we have no problem walking away from business repeatedly. We have large enterprise brands that are coming in or like, hey, we, we, want, we want to buy you guys, but we want you to do this, this, and this, and this. And we want you to build these integrations for us. I'm like, no, what we're doing right now is working so well. Like, I don't have time for this. If you want to sign a $2 million deal for three years, yeah, I will go build those integrations. But unless you're willing to do that, like, let's how, again. How many of them are coming back and just taking what you have off the shelf? <laughs> Sometimes they are. Yes, for sure. We, we got some, some big ones that we're super excited that are coming on board this quarter. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. People don't like when you say no, or you're not a good fit. I use that all the time in the sales cycle. You are not a good fit for us. And, yep. and they don't like it, but then those ones are the ones that often come back later on and are sort of, they like, want to prove you wrong. That's right. Yeah, they want uh, to yeah. Did you guys ever see the peel and keel um, video about the telemarketer? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 So yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's my favorite. <laughs> one. That's my favorite one. Um, I have, I have a video of my son doing some telemarketing over the weekend for fundraising. I'm thinking about writing a blog post about a 12 year old's not afraid to pick up the phone. You shouldn't either. That's awesome. That's um, awesome. but anyway, we, th this hour has flown by, you know, the last 45 minutes. So, um, one of the things we always do towards the end of a show is, is to say, how can we help you? What can we do to support you? Whether it's, um, an issue you're supporting completely separate of work, whether it's something other than, you know, obviously plug your organization for you know people to get a hold of you, but there's something we can help you with. Got it want to ask a question about business advice, we're happy to, you know, throw our brains behind it. Okay. Um, what's well, gonna, I wasn't not expecting that question. Um, I, I mean, I think right now is, um, you know, the, the one thing I would ask is, is for people to, uh, you know, keep having empathy. You know, I think it was really easy early on in COVID to have an empathy. And as we're going into, you know, um, election that's upcoming and things like that, I just, you know, have empathy. You don't know what people are going through, um, and also give them back. Right? I think that I think it's important for everybody to you know pick projects uh, where they're giving back to the community. Uh, that's something that you know we're doing as, as well with work. So we've um, fun thing about a new startup is you get to bring in all these new cultures, and so we are dedicating one day a quarter uh, to different charities uh, as an organization. So one day we will go and, and donate. Um, one day a quarter, we'll donate the whole day uh, to do something and give back to the community. So um, I no, no uh, causes per se uh, that I want to highlight today, but just having empathy and, and always thinking about giving back. That's great. I, lo I love the idea of uh, spending one day a quarter to do something as a company for you know the local community, wherever that <clears throat> may be. Um, I think I'm starting to see more of these kinds of uh, want to use the word perks it's not really a perk but just like initiatives basically you know like hey mandatory days off here go do this for the community go support you know such and such organization oh i think i think companies are trying to get creative and how they can give back like you were uh, like you were saying so well we and then really also take time my last thing is take some time off. A lot of people are burning out right now. And so like most of my go-to market team was like, guys, it's August. Like go, go enjoy, go enjoy the sun and, and, you know, make sure to relax and, and get some fresh air. Cause I feel that most people are working harder now than they probably have a long time. And so you want to make sure you take the time. I have, I have this particular problem and Richard is always telling me to go take time off. 
So you're preaching to the choir. <laughs> you're you're making him look smart, Olivier. This I don't like this part of the show. He's very smart. I mean, broken, come on, hey, man, we live in the same neighborhood. <laughs> broken clock is right twice a day, man. Uh, well, thanks so much for hanging out with us, Olivier, and uh, good luck with everything as you move forward. And you know, stay in touch and let us know if we can be helpful. All right, sounds great. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Olivier. Have a good day. Bye. Bye.